Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. Hello? Hey, Bree, how you doing? Hey, good and pretty good. How are you, Mario? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Hey, I was psyched to see you and Cameron climbing last week. How did uh, your session go? It was pretty good. Haven't been on ropes in a while. I feel like I just need to start training a little bit more again. What was that hangboard you mentioned to us? Uh, oh, it was the flashboard. And I think it's the best one because you can use it indoors. You can use it outdoors. It doesn't merely matter where you use it. You can hang it on stuff. You don't have to mount it to your wall. So it's pretty dope. Oh, that's great. Because I feel like I can't put holes anywhere in my house. But yeah, that's awesome. Where can I get it? Uh, you can go to Tension's website. And then whenever you do, just drop in the promo code. Tension SAS 20, you'll get 20% off. You'll support the podcast and yeah, but then they'll get it to you on the quickness. Oh, sick. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Are you guys climbing again this weekend? Yeah, I think we'll hit up uh, maybe the new rope gym down in the design district. Oh, the new movement is finally open. Nice. Finally, after our long wait. I know that's a long wait, but I'm excited. Well, I'm looking forward to climbing with both of you guys and I'll see you guys this weekend. Yeah, I'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. Today, my guest is Luke Skinner, route setter, musician, and hometown crusher. Luke's career started in rock climbing how I believe a lot of us did. We didn't grow up in the climbing scene. We weren't a climber and a teen kid or anything like that. We found climbing. It changed our lives. We fell in love with it. And we just knew we wanted to be involved in it in some way, shape, or form. This conversation is two guys hanging out, building a friendship that's already deep and making it wider and deeper and talking about the industry as a whole. I hope you enjoy this episode with a hometown crusher, hometown legend, hometown hero, Luke Skinner. We are live, sir. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Nice. Has anybody ever said that on a microphone, you sound like a white Barry Manilow? (laughs) Uh, smooth and sultry. No, uh, no, no one has ever said that to me. I mean, it's what you sound like in my headphones at least, but I I think it's sexy. (laughs) So that's all I care about. Um, I am super excited. We've talked about doing this for a while. Uh, so I will let you introduce yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? And what is your connection to rock climbing, the outdoors, whatever sports you like to do? Man. Okay. Uh, my name is Luke Skinner. Uh, I am the head route setter for the new movement gyms here in Dallas. Previously, I was the director of setting at the summit climbing gyms. Um, I began climbing around 11 years ago, almost to the day. It seems, um, when some friends in college, uh, invited me to go climb with them at Dallas rocks after work. Um, that's where my climbing journey began. And it's interesting to see that that's where like the neighborhood that I'm in right now. And, uh, I don't know. Um, Oh, I didn't realize that's kind of full circle. Yeah. It's wild, man. Uh, I'll have people come in, you know, to the Hill and they'll be talking about, you know, the differences and similarities or whatever there may be between the two gyms. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. you know, all the while they're, they're not really 
you know, aware necessarily that like I began climbing down the street there at D rocks. And, uh, that's where I made like a lot of really close, like lifelong friends. Um, a lot of whom have moved away since then, but, uh, you know, we're still around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's not very many of, there's not very many of us that are around. <laughs> I think that we're back around in the D rocks days. Like, I mean, there's still members are here, but as yeah. far as people who were like working or in the industry, I remember, I almost want to say like, I kind of remember, obviously I don't remember the day you showed up to the gym, but I definitely remember when you were starting being around <laughs> and I was just like, I just, it's funny. Uh, Donnell. I don't know if you remember Donnell. Dude, I remember Donnell. I remember, I listened to your, uh, your podcast interview with him last year. Okay. Last year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Donnell and I have talked about you before and it was like, you know, Luke, he's, <laughs> he's loud like a brother. <laughs> he's loud like a brother in the gym. Like, you know, when he's in the building and I was like, I remember him and I were just sitting there one day just thinking about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's hilarious, dude. Uh, yeah. I miss that guy. Uh, he's I remember good. he he's was getting good. into it around the same time I was, and he was definitely like out outpacing like what I thought my progression should be at the time. And I always looked up to how he was just like always in there, like getting after it, mm-hmm. you know, um, sessioning on big techs with him was like a routine thing back yeah. then. And it was super fun. Yeah. I will admit there is nothing like sessioning on that wall. That is like a whole nother, especially back when it was like pull pads and it wasn't like, foam c you know oh yeah <laughs> those Man, were the days dude <laughs> dude i forgot about that yeah. yeah i remember when i started working at d rocks there was eight total asana pull pads mm-hmm. and we had to like pull the pad to where you wanted it yeah and like for those of you so okay so for everyone listening like right now on the rail like okay back in the day in the D rocks, there was a point in time where the padding, cause you guys are all used to this 36 inches of foam that's there now mm-hmm. back in the day, that thing was no thicker than a gymnastic mat. It was like maybe three inches. Yeah. It was like those ASI gymnastics, like Floors. foldable ones. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know how we never had more broken ankles and broken knees. Cause people would be taking falls from Dude, the top of big tech. Pitching off of, yeah. Like an 18 foot wall. That's like 45 degrees the whole way up. I will say that though. But back in the day, it's funny. Uh, Wendy Bradley, do you remember Wendy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wendy and I had talked about this back uh, before, like climbing in that gym at that time, you had to learn how to spot people. Yeah. And that was one, that's like one thing that's, really different about climbing indoors now is that people aren't really necessarily looking out for one another in the same way. No. Because one, the spaces have grown so much that you can sort of like start, like avoid people, like you're doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. But back then, or at least like in smaller facilities like that, everyone's like on top of each other. So like it it's like forced confinement, you know, where like yeah. everyone has to freaking look after one another because like you're literally going to land on someone's lap, you know, if they don't spot you right or whatever, which I've done, you know? And, yeah, yeah. and, uh, I think that that sort of camaraderie that's formed through those shared spaces is, has just shifted its tone since then, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not the same anymore. I do agree with you. I think climbing has really become much more of like a turnkey experience for people who'd be able to walk in, climb. Mm-hmm. You know, 
if we're going to talk about it in this modern generation, you know, I came in, I climbed, I took my selfie, I did my thing. Yeah. And then you go and before it's kind of like, I remember people showing up for the first time and they're like, well, what if I fall? Like, make sure you make sure you got someone looking out for you. Yeah. Especially if you're going big. And then it also, you know, it's funny. Um, I think because of the risk factor that was involved, it forced you to build bonds and build relationships. Cause I mean, that's how I met like Aaron Giles and a lot Dude, of them. One of the and, best people. Yeah. yeah easily. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jalene and them, I remember walking up to them and asking them like, Hey, I'm going to try this thing. Would y'all give me a spot? And they're like, absolutely. Yeah. And they were amped. Yeah. And they were just like ready to do it. And I think like that, you know, and I, and I get like, like the only people who get that now are probably like people who climb in California, like at Stony Point or these places that are just like glorified outdoor gym crags. Mm-hmm. Um, but is something that is kind of lost now it's kind of like i don't know i feel like so much of climbing is a spectator sport in a way i mean i think a lot of the ways that like newer climbers or like people in the gym interact is more like congratulatory when you witness success or something that's like um impressive to you Mm -hmm. but there isn't necessarily a whole lot of like uh cheerleading along the way you Mm -hmm. know what i mean or like or like gassing somebody up for trying really hard but still failing, you know? Do you remember Heckle Wednesday? Uh, yeah, and 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 Chris and Riley. <laughs> oh dude, my god! We would try to like we would try to climb like limit boulders, but while everyone's just fucking burning you yes. and trying to make you like belly laugh off the wall, <laughs> and and the logic was like if you can like keep your core tight enough through laughter to do a hard boulder than like you're climbing well or yes, whatever. It was, I remember it was that. some silly like bro science logic, but like oh, it was fucking fun. Dude. Heckle Wednesday <laughs> was so good. Yeah. I don't know if you can do heckle Wednesday anymore. Definitely not. Things definitely got said then that like now would not fly oh, in, no, God, in a public no. setting, but no, uh, no, I'm d- I will admit like, listen, I'm all for woke community, but there was a little bit of glory in a little NC 17 language every once in a while. Oh yeah. I you mean, know? dude, I think like one of the sec, like the second or third time that you and I met, the first thing that you did was walk past me, slap my ass. And you were like, that's my white chocolate. Nice. <laughs> Oh my and I was God. like, dude, what just, just happened. happened to me, man? <laughs> I think that was, was Kenzie. Like- that, that, I'm pretty sure that was Kenzie. Kenzie was like, because uh, Kenzie would do that to other people. And I think Kenzie and I were on this thing where we we're like, all right, how many bro boyfriends can we get? <laughs> dude, that's fucking hilarious. And it was like, it was, it was, that was also too in the day and age where I think like, I don't know, like, I, you know, it's funny. I've been wanting to actually kind of have this conversation for a while, but like, I think bromance there in that day and age was much different than it is now because now it's more like to a certain extent, it's a good thing. It's more like mentorship, like, bro, let me show you this. Let me introduce you into this sport. But then there it was kind of like you didn't really go to a gym unless you kind of knew what you were doing or you really wanted to get into it. And if Mm -hmm. you really wanted to get into it, then like you just like like you could you could see someone was hungry. Mm -hmm. And so the bromance was there and it was just like letting people in. And I'll never forget this girl was like, I don't know, understand why the boys flirt with each other more than they flirt with the girls in this place. And then we were like, yeah, yeah, I'm a second class citizens right now. <laughs> nah. I could kind of see why, though. I feel like it's like 
a safer way to engage with somebody somebody earnestly Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily entail like more serious implications down the road right yeah So like if you were to like get really invested in somebody else in like in a heteronormative way or whatever like the expectation sometimes is that like it's going to lead to romance Mm -hmm. but like with a bromance it's like you're just gassing up your friend you know and like you're having a good time and like it's not it's not necessarily going to be more than that at least in a you know in a hetero situation but like yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's why. I can't really I can't really speak. No, I mean, I just think it's easier to yeah, maybe get along with people that you aren't, you know, necessarily trying to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I mean, sex does make everything messy. There's yeah, there's a lot more like at play than just like trying to get along, you know. Yeah, I also think too like, you know, I think there's a certain amount of like the nature of climbing and the nature of the sport. I think one of the things that it gives is um it gives you an ultimatum like you either one can be isolated, but you won't get any better. I mean, you will. I mean, you I mean, there's people who are hermit crabs and who mm-hmm. are real strong, but usually they have access to a lot of capital or they can yeah. build their own woodies or whatever. So, you know. So let's minus that category out. But like, I think back then to once again, like with the risk and the reward, like if you really wanted to get better, you had to build relationships. I remember, I mean. I, I mean, you and BA and everybody else was much younger than me, you know? And, but at the same time, I still climbed with you guys all the time and I enjoyed Mm -hmm. doing it. And like, it was like the thing. And I feel like I had to, especially kind of, especially at that time, cause it was like really, as far as like brothers in the gym, it was really, it was really just me and, oh God, his name is escaping. Darnell, Jarrett. No, not Darnell. Before Darnell, Jarrett. Yes. Jared. Jared. But like, so prior to that, prior to them showing up for like three to maybe almost four years, four, four and a half years, I would say like, it was just me hanging around you guys. And I remember just having to like, just kind of dive in. Cause I was just like that. And I never really thought anything of it because, you know, I think I was really lucky that everyone was super nice and super kind and everyone was super loving mm-hmm. and then Jim, and then, you know, everyone is just as much of a shit talker as I was. So I bet it. <laughs> You know, I fit in really well. Yeah. So it wasn't a big deal. But, um, you know, I think those I wanted to be better. And so I felt like I had to gravitate towards, you know, VJ, BA, you, you know, Colby back in the day. Um, Dude, I forgot about VJ, man. He moved away quite a long time ago, but he, I, as far as I'm aware, is like, Living a really, really fulfilled life, still climbing yeah, really hard. Yeah, Got he's still a kid climbing. or two, and two like kids, two kids. That doctor. Think, yeah, they live. They live uh, somewhere in the African continent, and he works for the Who. Um, That's from what so I amazing. Yeah, yeah, dude. You, you, dude, dude, he's, he's like, like he's yeah. brilliant. Like, it's crazy. Like when you think of like Max, like you're you've got like a certain number of experience points to spend on your stats. That dude, like somehow, can like max out in like every realm you it's know because he's so <laughs> it's amazing it's because he's yeah, it's pretty admirable it's because he's so freaking like the thing with vj and i've been wanting to like get him on a podcast and vj if you listen to this like i'm motherfucker motherfucker <laughs> you understand what i meant but um the thing with vj that really impressed me is he has the unique ability to think 
and process in a linear way and in a non-linear way, and then cross-reference that information at a, an immensely high rate of mm-hmm. speed. Like he can cross-reference all that information real fast and write it out and keep detailed factual notes to draw someone through. And that was the thing that like when I watched him climb and we, BJ and I have had some long conversations in, in the gym, just talking about climbing and just life in general. But, you know, I'll never forget when he had that um, inner ear thing where his fluids in his ear got, uh, got so thick that he couldn't climb. He couldn't like, he like literally seeing holds move and he just got into fishing and he like went way deep down that rabbit hole. But he didn't go so far, but like, it was interesting because we were talking about it. He's like, well, you know, I want to get back to climbing. I know I'm going to. And, but he would talk about it, like how he would use like focus doing fishing because it was the only thing he could do. And then he would be able to then kind of like redirect the thoughts that he had from there. And he would talk about it and he's like, yeah, well, I was thinking about climbing and I see how these things correlate. And just even in his job, like what he does with infectious diseases and things mm-hmm. like that, like, I think. He just has the unique ability to think mm-hmm. at, in those kind of ways and then cross-reference the information and not get confused like a lot of the rest of us would. Yeah. I think it also it's like a trend, maybe not a trend. This is like more like availability bias or whatever, but like it's always surprising to me to see like the number of people who work in like healthcare or are in med school or engineering or something like that who get into climbing and like, I feel like there's something to like the analytical nature of it that just scratches that same itch, but it's a little more like active and, you know, uh, engaging. I don't know, but there, there, there's a lot to be said about how, you know, you fail like 99% of the time. And so you're just iterating on prior failure. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of like what learning and like, you know, uh, academic, you know, investment is. And so so I think that there's something to be said about like a lot of those individuals who get into it and like, it just fucking gets that same itch, you know, scratched. I don't know. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I think, so it's funny you say that over the years, I have noticed coaching kids, kids that are really strong in like literature, um, literature, arts, Mm -hmm things like that conceptually they are better climbers we'll 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 re-up here in a minute um they are conceptually they are just like better climbers they move better on the wall they're that but kids who are like really math and science based like they could always deconstruct climbing better and i have noticed that over the years it's just been really a common thing that i've noticed that's just kind of panned out the only other crossover that I've noticed is, is, which has been kind of weird, is the kids who are math and science based have the ability to try immensely hard comparative to kids who are literature and art based. Like they, they, you think they would, I don't know, you think as an artist, you would be able to accept failure or accept this thing. And it, it, it's just, I've noticed those two things just conflict and especially in coaching kids over the years. And it's one of those things that I've just noticed. That's kind of, it's really been true over the last like 20 years of coaching. Interesting. That's not something that I've personally ever witnessed, but, um, yeah, I'm sure that there's something to be said about like the right versus left brain and like, mm-hmm. which one's more dominant and 
how that influences your approach to the sport or whatever. But well, I think it just plays on to what you just talked about. Like, you know, it's like being an engineer or anything like that. Like you're totally. used to failing. Mm-hmm. And so with science and math, like you're just kind of used to being a little, for lack of a better term, a little grittier. Mm. And, um, um, I think that's just where that comes from, you know? And it's like, you might not have the, the smoothness, the flow, the momentum or the movement down, but you can burr. You can yeah. just straight burr through the whole thing. <laughs> and I don't think that, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. I was just thinking about that. Totally. I, uh, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to like, when I think just like self-reflectively about my own style and like whatever, my own leanings well, in any. What's your educational background? I mean, you were going to work at that, at TI. You were working at TI yeah. at one point. Yeah. So when uh, I, I got my undergraduate in electrical engineering um, from UT Dallas here in Richardson in Texas. And uh, after graduating, I landed a job in a sales rotational program at Texas Instruments, which was like a training program for like nine months that basically took me to different uh, sales offices around the country to train me up on how to do like uh, sales for semiconductor products, mm-hmm. um, which are basically little chips that go inside of all electronics or whatever. Um, just explaining it for those who don't necessarily understand that TI does more than just calculators. Yeah. Um, quite a bit. Yeah. Like actually, yeah. Quite like a bit. Calculators are like more like a branding, you know, enterprise for them than it is money. But, uh, um, yeah, I worked at TI for three years after graduating and, um, I, you know, it's funny when I was in college, I was like, I knew like, I don't know what I want to do with my degree, but all I know is I don't want to sit at a desk, you know? And, uh, it's hilarious because I, I said that like numerous times to friends. And then, you know, the first job that I like got a yes for, you know, when you're used to like making enough money for gas and beer, you know, and food, and you're like walking to class every day, everything that you ever need in life is like 50 feet away from your room. Yeah. Like, it was just weird to have like a fat stack of cash, like, you know, where they're like, here's how much we'll pay you. And I'm like, oh, that's more money than I've ever had in the totality of my life. So <laughs> sure. Like if I said no, I would feel like a fool. But yeah. so like I said, yeah, to this like, you know, moderately well-paying engineering gig. And, uh, and so, you know, I went and worked at TI and, uh, I quickly realized that like, I'm this very manic person. I, I can't, I can't sit down for eight, eight hours a day. No. And, um, you know, one way or another, I was going to do something different and I sort of ran the clock out. Things weren't going so well near the end of my job. And, uh, and I made a decision to like jump ship and try something new. And I had always daydreamed about route setting. Um, you know, I'd been climbing for around six years at that point, And it's something that had always like intrigued me. And I, that, but that I also knew almost nothing about. Um, and so I just had to do it. It was like, it was like make or break, you know, it was like, I'm, this is what I'm going to try and do. And I hope it works out. But like what I'm doing right now is untenable. I, I cannot do this any longer. And so I just took a gamble on myself, you know, um, panned out. A lot of people were like really advising against it. Like a lot of my close friends, like they know who they are and I won't like name them right now, but like they were st- like worried about me for a while they were like you seem like unwell like you know yeah, you're you're like throwing yeah. you're like throwing your life away like that's the classic you know? that's the classic classic climber 
like stepping into the climbing industry realm of like people like my parents thought I was homeless and poor for all my life, for most majority of my life. And then only like maybe two years ago, three years ago, my mom was like, I was, I had a question on my taxes and my mom looked at my taxes. She's like, Oh shit, you make money. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you think I do mom? And she was like, I just thought you were a bum. And she's like suddenly proud. And you're like, where was this? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where was this years ago no yeah yeah no dude yeah i so did you start route setting when it was summit or when it was d-rock when it was summit yeah okay so i think uh d-rocks got bought by summit like a year or two before uh i started route setting i think they've got bought in like were you and i route setting together at the same time uh no 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 okay but we, i just you left. and i you and i have like briefly set together once or twice yeah but this was after you had been setting yeah so i think i think they got bought in like 2015 i started setting in 2017 i think yeah I yeah okay so you came in right after i left because there was that brief period of time there was like a brief period of time i i don't know if you remember this but i was the only route setter at yeah. d rocks and i was setting the whole gym that's crazy by dude. myself for nine and a half months, almost a year. That's just a about tall order. Ju- just about a year. Just you know, I don't know. I think it was just a, just under over ten months. Like Simon McNally would come out and set with me Dude, every once in a while. He and Lindsay, like people I miss in yeah. the community. You know, I I see them once maybe every year or so. Yeah, like, that, well, they got that yeah, little baby now, so they're yeah, in their aviary. And yeah, they got a whole lot going on. Yeah. I think he built a kilter board in a treehouse on his land. Doesn't. Like that, I'm serious. Like, I think he actually did that. And so I think he just like trains at home and hangs with his babies. The man became a blacksmith because he wanted to. Yeah, dude. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like a Ron Swanson, dude. He just like, (laughs) just like (laughs) Renaissance man, you know? Oh yeah. They're a beautiful family. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, no, they are beautiful people. I miss them a lot. But yeah, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. Simon came in a few other people, but yeah, there was a small time. And those of you who listening who are old school DFW climbers. (laughs) Remember, there was a phase. I will admit, though, I learned a lot. And at that point in time, I'll never forget it. I don't know what fucking crack I was smoking. But, you know, I was on that good FBI government crack because I was full-time route setting. At one point in time, I was full-time route setting at Dallas. Mm -hmm. Coaching kids club and running the competitive team at Dino Rocks and setting there. Brutal, dude. That's insane. And like the Dino Rocks thing only lasted for like three or four months. Yeah, that's that's like so much. And then no, Dino Rocks thing lasted, but then some got bought, and then I was still route setting by myself until Chris and them built up the crew. Yeah, and then that was it. But yeah, that was like, I think that was like the biggest growing period in my climbing. I got real strong, but I felt like I didn't know how to rock climb because literally I would set my routes all night come back go home go to sleep come back in the morning for a run by myself or or schedule one staff member to belay me but i remember most of the time i was on um i was just yeah self belaying and for running and fixing everything myself dude, freaking wild wild west style that's crazy dude yeah. it was it was back in the day i remember that was the first time i actually learned how to set four routes on one ladder at one time nice yeah you get really good at using extensions at d rocks man yeah i remember my first day like getting up in the like spider wall that big 
dihedral mm-hmm. rib wall. Yeah, and decent, I called it the taint. Dude, that thing is so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. Setting that thing on an extension ladder is freaking terrifying. It is terrible. <laughs> it is probably one of the worst parts of the wall. But I will admit, dude, you there were a few people who came up with some really clever movement in that zone. Definitely. It, forced you to like get creative definitely because you would set the same damn thing all the time yeah yeah man i don't know yeah setting that gym that was obviously like where i began my setting journey and uh you know i was just like so gung-ho i was like kid in a sandbox just everything was so exciting to me and i still feel like on my good days that's exactly how i feel now it's like that's good yeah there are things that still get me like giddy you know what i mean dude that's that says a lot about i think that says a lot about your work-life balance um because i feel that way about coaching all the time like there is obviously there are some days you know we're all we're human we have our days but i would honestly say 90 percent of the time i walk into the gym and i'm like i'm here to make some kids feel like champions and ruin the rest of their lives and ruin the rest of them. Like, That's so funny. And it's just like, it brings me joy. And it just like, you know, and the kids just like kind of ground me. And I think it's like, I really find joy in that. And I think it's like, it is a work-life balance thing. And I think that's really hard for most setters because I think the burnout rate for setters is really high. It's exceptionally high. And I will say that like, I am fortunate in that I, I mean, I've had moments of burnout. You could ask Sarah, my partner, she would say that she, she's been there when I'm like questioning everything I've ever done, you know? Um, and it happens, especially like when you're working lots of competition events, mm-hmm. but also like doing work, you know, on top of that as well. But I've been extremely fortunate in that, um, I've had a lot of really great opportunities come my way and, uh, that that's fueled me, you know, and it, and it's kept me motivated. You know, I, I feel like burnout can happen very easily if you're, you know, not presented with new, you know, I think setters really just crave new experiences regardless of what they are, mm-hmm. even if they're gruelingly hard, mm-hmm. you like grow and enjoy that. It's like type two fun Oh yeah, where you enjoy it after the fact, but in the moment it sucks. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, you know, Jordan Brasher. Yeah, dude. Like the, there was this, maybe the best compliment I've ever been given one day. Like I came into work and I was just like jazzed and you know, I had my coffee and I was like, you know, slinging volumes around. And I was like, here, here's what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, still waking up. And he was like, dude, you have this like insane demonic energy. And I was like, <laughs> fuck yes, yes, Jordan. I was like, that is exactly what I'm trying to bring to this. Like, <laughs> I still try to channel it, you know, when I can, I still get, I get tired too, but I try to bring it, you know, every single day if I can. Yeah, no, dude, I know what you mean. It's like, it's weird. Like, I mean, every job is a grind in its own way. Absolutely. But climbing is very unique in the aspect of like, you are, well, I guess it really kind of depends on what you're doing in the industry, but like you're creating a product that people are then climbing on and then rating, deciding whether they like it or not. But at the same time, you're still trying to innovate your product. It's like, it's really like, I mean, it's real, some, it's some real Kendrick Lamar shit. If you think about it, like you're constantly like, like, you know, you have your staples, you know, the things that you can get up, but at the same time, you are constantly trying to innovate, tweak, make those things better or just not as obvious. And I think that's like the, one of the things I've always really enjoyed about 
your setting, Liam's setting, and um, uh, what's his name? He was just here visiting us. Augie? No, no, no. Your, Wait. your boulders are choss. Oh, Nick Strong. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Nick Strong. Your boulders are choss. choss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, Dude, yeah. But I, I've always, like, I've always enjoyed you guys' roots because, like, you know, there'll be, I can tell there are days, like, especially when you guys were setting up, like, all right, you guys just needed to get the wham, bam, flow up. And then there's some days where I'd be like, climbing, flowing on your roots. And I'd like, and I'd, I'd stop, I'd look ahead and I'd be like, wait, what? And I'd be doing a move and I'd be like, oh, you mother. <laughs> you. And I'd look and I'd just be like, if one of y'all were in the gym, I'd turn around and look at y'all. I'd be like, really? Re okay. 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 I'll that's like the hardest thing. Like you want to like lead somebody into a movement more than you want them to just like read it, you know, mm -hmm. like you want them to find themselves in it and then be like, oh shit. Whoa. Oh, fucking cool. Versus <laughs> like, oh, okay. Like I, yeah. And, and it's hard to nail it. Cause like you want it to feel as natural as possible, but you also want it to feel somewhat challenging. It's mm -hmm. like that weird line you got to toe between the two. Yeah. I think it gets harder and harder when you have people with like, there's that thing where it's like, where, you know, experience and luck start to like outweigh each other. And that's like that factor. And I think with climbing, it's like the more experience you have and the more right read route reading experience you have, the harder it is to trick that person. But totally. I think, but I, I don't know. I just from watching World Cups and watching a bunch of this stuff. I also think it's also it's also a curse when you get up that high because you're so used to seeing everything that like you immediately. Oh, this is this. This is this. Yeah. And then the obvious right in front of you is just like you're like, what the fuck? It's like, for example, prime example, last year's uh, the year before Salt Lake thing, when the whole on Adam Andra foot first thing. Mm, like yeah. that move was so obvious yeah it was very 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 yeah. obvious if you if you thought about it yeah but i think like so many of them just kind of walked into it and just kind of like okay bam okay bam this is this okay yeah and it's like you just you have these pre-program -pre thought patterns and you know and these are the thought patterns that you know you've been taught your whole life or you've taught yourself you know like and for those of you who don't understand what the concept of thought patterns are, I'm sure everybody knows, but just to be clear, thought patterns are the things that like you've taught yourself over your life. Like, um, like, uh, like this is hot. I don't want to be in heat. And so the moment you feel heat, your whole body immediately starts to be like, okay, I don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. Like, or you've taught yourself how to do that. It's like a and neural you, pathway that's been burned in over yeah, a yeah. certain number of iterations of experience or and whatever. You, and yeah. it's just fast and you can make these decisions. And I feel like you get caught in that loop because there was some of them yeah. were just like repeat. And I'm just like, you need to like, just like close your eyes, turn around and then look at the thing and reset of a fresh. And I don't think it was possible. One of the things that I find I'm really bad at is like setting something that feels fucked up, like, like, like really uncomfortable. Like I, I always err on the side of comfort. And one of the things I learned recently when setting for a championship level event was like, some of the best performing boulders or routes are the ones that feel a little like kind of fucked up. And like, like if you want to put a foot there, you should put it on the other side of the body or like you want the hand this way, turn it that way. Like, like do what feels less intuitive because the climber is going to like, they're experienced enough 
to where like when they look at that hold, you know, they're going to know exactly how you want them to grab it generally, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like the more you can try to surprise yourself, sometimes that has good and unexpected results, you know, when you're in the foreigning process or whatever. And, uh, that's something that I'm like, I've, I've struggled with and that I'm like challenging myself with, but like, it's, it's hard to do well that, you know, it do in such a way that like, doesn't yield like absolute shit tastic results too, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I do know what you mean. Like I've always, I always scare. I, I don't know if you remember, like I haven't sat a lot in recently, but like I always err on the side of like, I like things to be okay. When I say terrifying, I don't mean you think you're going to die, but I definitely want you to be on this move. Like there's no fucking way I'm going to do this. There's no fucking way. And then when you do it, you're like, Oh, so I like, and I think that probably comes from like a strong trad, trad climbing off with climbing, kind of like doing big, bold, scary routes. Like, Something I've never done. Yeah. yeah like it comes to one of those things like, okay, like it, like I like, I guess maybe a better way to say this is I like to set overly committing routes. Like you just have to commit to the move. Like if you, if you commit to it, then it will go by really easily. But if you don't, if you try to like over technify it or try to like beta break it like it's like you, you probably can but you're going to spend more time and energy trying to do that than if you would and then at that point you have to ask yourself like you can be perfect or you can be done one person is racking up more sense than the other yeah yeah committing moves depending on the style like i can you know just feel totally confident going into them but if they're like not at all something that i'm you know comfortable with it's mm-hmm. cause of that hesitation for sure but yeah, it's very weird, you know, trying to like curate that experience for like so many people too. you know, like what, what we may no longer think is intimidating, you know, somebody else is going to feel totally petrified by, and that's mm-hmm. like, it's a lot of like, mm, questioning your assumptions at this point yeah. is how sit- route setting feels. You know, it's a lot of like circling back and being like, well, what is like this grade or like what is risk you know and like a lot of like really lofty fucking like theoretical discussions yeah that aren't really backed by a lot of like you know mat time just like hanging out with you know members in the gym necessarily what i don't know it it, you know it it's a lot of like you know oh yeah no (laughs) oh yeah just figuring out in the way we try to do our best though so what goes into and i'm sure people are i mean i know what i use the determinant grade of a boulder um but like for you when you're setting like what goes in for you to determine the grade range and i want to be very clear when i say grade range because grades are subjective yeah you're seven feet tall boulders one thing you're five foot nothing boulders one thing you know you have fingers of antimantium and yet no abs whatsoever it's a different like it so things are very subjective totally but like what i guess maybe this is a thing what factors do you take involved do you take in like just the difficulty the holds the emotional experience scariness like what are the factors yeah. that you use to like choose something that you're going for yeah um i don't know it's like a multitude of things but like grip variety and like how you're getting pumped you know, through the, through the boulder or the route, like the level of complexity of movement you're asking and for that level. One thing that I like about setting at a circuit gym right now is that we try to curate a circuit 
for a specific level of ability. And then within that, we have like our own tailored expectations for how they might feel. So like, can you first define real quick before you get to it? What is a circuit gem? Cause I don't think everybody knows. Okay, what that cool. means. Yeah. Sorry. So for those who have been listening this long through Mario and I, uh, reminiscing about og dallas climbers who nobody's ever heard of back in the uh, day yeah like if you've sat this long i commend you um yeah but, uh, a circuit gym for those who are unaware is um like a bouldering gym generally um that has a color specific grading system and so for instance like i work in a gym right now that has um yellow holds correspond to the range v2 to v5 and that means that for any boulder that you might encounter in the gym, the proposed grade for that boulder, if it is yellow, is going to be V2 to V5. Now, <clears throat> what's nice about that system is it allows us to, one, be able to use all of the yellow holds on a variety of grades. So like a cool sloper that, you know, could be used, you know, on, you know, a V2 as a mantle hold or something can be used as, you know, a paddle hold or something on a V5 potentially. Anyways. It allows us more flexibility as setters, but also it allows us to be a little like less accurate. Like everyone's subjective and their experience with the gym is going to be so freaking like nuanced. And there's no way that we can curate every boulder to be for one specific person. But it's important that we offer a great variety of things so that every person can come in and find their favorite flavor jelly bean. You know what I'm mm -hmm, saying? Mm -hmm. Like, like you're going to come into my gym and you're going to find a boulder that you fucking hate, you know, and I, I do every day. Everyone does. There are boulders there that I don't like, but like, it's important that they exist because yes. there's somebody else out there who's going to like that boulder, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like that to me is like how I try to think about curating a gym or a set is like putting as many things out there as we can, because someone will find value in it and making sure that like, the level that we're delivering it at is appropriate for the circuit. So whenever I'm like, say I'm setting like a V5, if it's in the red circuit, I'll think about all the climbers in our gym who I know who climb relatively at that level. And I'll think, what do I know they're good at? What do I know that they're bad at? How are they going to feel on this X move? And I think that sometimes is like a better guiding light than like trying to think like, what do I think V5 feels like or whatever? I've had V5s outside that I straight up cannot do, you know? And then there are V5s that feel like an absolute joke, you know? And like, that's just how climbing is. You're going to mm -hmm. find stuff that's like suit, well suited to your strengths and abilities and experiences and things that like, you know, totally take advantage of all the chinks in your armor, you know? I can say the name of one route that shudders fear in most people <laughs> in the world, Bumboy. Dude, Bumboy straight up took me like, tw I think I counted, it was like somewhere around 29 tries. It took me, like, it took, it took me a day, <laughs> a full day. And then the next day and the next day in December, because I think it was colder, mm -hmm. I finally figured it out the beta. And still to this day, like I love and hate that route, but like, yeah. that's a prime example. And what Bumble is V1? V it's V3. V3 now? I think it's V3. I thought it was but V1 at one point. There's like Bumboy, there's Centipede, Centipede and there's, is hard. and there's Millipede. And I don't know what no. the other two are graded. Is Millipede like to V3, the right? four and five. Uh, I think, I think it's, I think it's Bumboy, Millipede and Centerpede is in the center of the two. But I think Millipede, I think is what I tried and Millipede is fucking hard. Dude, I, I only did Bumboy. The other two I tried, I 
freaking could not fathom. Uh, uh, granted, like I did not I invested all my time in the V3, <laughs> but like, yeah, straight up like, uh, yeah, those boulders are freaking hard. Yeah. You know, like Mortal Kombat out there. I wanted to do that boulder more than any other boulder in HP 40 on that trip. And I did not do it. It was super hard. It's also kind of spooky. Like, <laughs> you're on like some glassy slab, you know, pretty tall. And like to, to your left, if you miss the pads, it's like fucking Maylar spikes, like a pit. Yeah. Yeah. Spiky rock. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're going to get impaled. Yeah. That was like when I topped out Melantino, I like came off because the bottom of Melantino is pretty standard. It's like pretty juggy and it's easy. There's that like one missy slope. And I remember grabbing onto this hold and I like peeled off and I don't know how I came back on, but I like slapped back on. But I remember looking down and I remember there's like two people spotting me. But they like were sitting down on the pad and then Dude, they, stood they clearly up. did not climb at D rocks. <laughs> and I was just, yes, I just remember being I was like, fuck this shit. I'm not falling today. <laughs> it was so scary. Dude. Yeah. I re- like speaking of falling on people who are sitting down. I was at D rocks like way back. And at the time I was projecting this V7 that traversed diagonally up and right on the wall on mm-hmm. big techs. And uh, the last move was like the crux, of course. Because that was how, that was how boulders were set back in the day. At rocks, yeah, back in the day, <laughs> like, like there was no give me full value. So. There yeah, was never all the way a give through. me. Um, you wanted to give me climb B three, but like I knew I was cruxing there, and so like I told there were this there was this trio of people sitting on the pads, and I was like, hey y'all, like I'm probably gonna fall on that move, and if I do, I'm landing right here, and I just want you to know. And this guy goes, "You're good, bro," and I was like, "Okay," like so I like. I'm going up the boulder. I get to the last move and I, I like in my periphery, I could see them, you know, over my shoulder. And I was like, God damn it. And like, I like half-heartedly threw at the move, you know? And like, I was inches, inches from freaking like crushing this girl's neck with my ass, dude. Like, (laughs) you are nicer than I am. Dude, I was like so afraid I was about to kill this like 110 pound girl. Like, It was, it was uh, gnarly. <laughs> Dude, the worst I've ever done is I remember telling this guy that like he needed to move and I don't remember what the boulder was, but I just remember there was like in the right hand corner of the rocks, like you would come out and you kind of like came out of these like, you know, undercling, like slappy. This is like when we first started experimenting with texture on volumes mm-hmm. and, you know, and I just remember coming out around and then coming up. And then I just remember kind of like, doing. I don't remember what the move was, but I just remember I had to, my feet would just helicopter. And I remember telling this dude, I was like, he was like, and this is when people would sit. So there would be like five lines, people deep on big tech. Yeah. Dude. And like, if you're two lines deep, you're going to get like crushed. So five line, I mean, you're in the fire zone. You might as well be on the front lines of like, you know, a Normandy storming <laughs> the beaches. Like you're dead. Like you're dead. So let's just be clear. You're dead. And I'll never forget. I was like, yo, bro, you probably like don't want to be here. I'm just like, I'm going to go through. And he's like, all right, fine. I am not you. I'm like, I'm about to Chuck Norris this guy's ass. Oh, dude. I was just like. (laughs) Roundhouse to the face. (laughs) Like, I was just like, okay, well, if I get to beat the shit out of this little white boy here while I climb and I don't get in trouble, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm like, like, fine. I mean, I do not condone violence. I'm not beating the people up deliberately unless they ask for it. You know, and you know who you are. But anyways. I just remember going for this move and my feet swing out and I'm not trying to do this. And it was at that point that he stood up and I just remember feeling my heel 
clock him Yanya. in the head somewhere. Scorpion. Yeah. Dude, I fucking clocked him. And I just remember like, but also at the same time, this was before a bunch of people were yelling dabs. So I was just like, he did slow me down enough to do the boulder. So I finished it out. And I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and take the grade yeah. here. But yeah, dude, it's a different world. Now, now I think the concern is, is like, now my concern is not so much landing on people. Sometimes people are a little bit more respectful, but now my concern is like the biggest thing that concerns me is watching other people dismount off the wall. Yeah. And I don't know, like that's just, it's them. That's going to be, it's them. But I just, it's just interesting to me because like the amount of like torn knees, torn things, torn things I've seen, but moving on from talking about other people being chuffers. Um, So like, what is like, so your career, I think has been, to me, has been one of the most interesting in DFW by far. So, you know, as we, as everybody's listening now, they kind of heard you from TI to route setting, to route setting, uh, to moving your ranks up along the way in summit to becoming the head of route setting now moving on to movement. Uh, and you know, like your career has just been something of depth and i feel like you've had the opportunity to really dig deep and get into it so what are you i guess this is a two-part question what's next for you obviously you know you're running all the route setting for this entire area for another gym and like what are you where are you aiming towards to because i think this is relevant for people who are considering getting into climbing and getting into the climbing industry I'm doing a lot. I'm talking a lot about coaching right now, but I think this is, uh, this is not a course that I was, I was on it for at one point in time, but I realized like, this is not the course that I want to do. So where are you, what's the next thing for you? Uh, let's start there. Cool. Uh, honestly, like that's not something I've given a whole ton of thought to, but in the short to medium term, like I'm actually really, really excited to just like get this next gym opened and then find my own routine again. I've been doing like a lot of events in the last two years. I've been doing a lot of gym opening. I've been involved in the opening of three different gyms in the last year. Um, so it's just been a lot of like uh, extra labor beyond just the normal commercial turnover of like a regular route setter. And all of that stuff is super exciting and it's like incredibly gratifying when you get to the finish line for those things. But it also really puts like, uh, you know, a wrench in the gears for like your own personal aspirations for your own climbing. And so I'm kind of psyched to open this next gym and then just kind of coast for a little bit and just like, um, get back in touch with my own routines, my own climbing. And, um, but also to like, further apply for more opportunities through USA climbing. Um, I got to set my first two championship level events this past few months Mm -hmm. and they were incredibly challenging in ways that like I was sort of anticipating, but also in ways I did not think I would be challenged. And it felt so rewarding at the end of them that, um, I know that I want to do them again. And I don't think that I'm necessarily like qualified or ready to like chief high level events at all by no means, but I'm really stoked on the idea of being a heavy contributor 
as a crew member to championship level USA climbing events as a route setter. And that's definitely something that like I have my eye on for the next couple of years um, and that I really want to pursue. Um, but other than that, like, I just want to set, you know, awesome dope routes for my friends and family here in Dallas at the new, the new design gym. Um, we're in the process of getting that gym ready right now. And it's so exciting because we, we haven't forerun anything yet because there's no flooring in the gym and you know, it just, it wouldn't be the safest environment to do that in. So we've been setting just like routes. We're just slinging grips, putting up the coolest thing our brain can come up with. And then like, we haven't even touched it yet or chalked it up. You I, know? Mean, it, I mean, I'm sure you so have, like, I'm sure you have to be on salary to forerun, but if you want someone to forerun, I'll be, I'm available. Definitely got to be on the company, on the company insurance policy or whatever. But, uh, but like, I just, I, I really cannot stress like how excited I am to like, see like people come in and enjoy that space. Like, uh, like yourself and everybody else in the Dallas community, because it's like going to be incredible. Um, and, uh, we've been putting a lot of, sweat and you know <laughs> effort into making it as good as we can and um that's what's exciting to me um as far as opportunities within the company that i'm working at i don't really have my sights on anything right now i still think that i'm very much getting accustomed to the landscape and the people i work with but thankfully thus far it's been an incredibly smooth transition i've made a lot of friends um who i'd spend time with outside of just work but uh I'm cool with just like being, you know, in charge of Dallas route setting for movement for a little while and pursuing USA climbing opportunities outside of that for a bit. On that note, I think it's time to re up on our wine. Yeah. Sorry. I was yeah, no, 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 I'm no. long winded as fuck. And the more wine you feed me, like we're going to, we're going to hear a lot more and I'm going to try and be a little more succinct. <laughs> Do you know who you're talking to? I was about to say. All right, like we're gonna take a quick hot second here. Hot second. If you're enjoying Sons and Suffers podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe on all our social media platforms and on whatever platform that you're listening to. If you can, take a moment to leave a comment. That does us a lot of good. If you absolutely cannot get enough of Sons and Suffers podcasts, then check us out on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, which is like grabbing a taco with your boy and just hanging out. You get to hear upcoming episodes, talk to the community, learn what we have coming out, and most importantly, get plugged in to what I've got going on. I would love to see you on there. And once again, thank you for listening to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. Stop, 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 stop,